Hello, I'm Dr. Amalia Gondas Malka. Welcome to Womanity Woman in Unity, the show that celebrates women's milestone achievements in their struggle for liberation, self emancipation, human rights, democracy, and much more. Joining us today is Professor Lydia Temi Lashuru from the Department of Economics at the University of South Africa, UNISA. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Prof Lashuru, economics plays a pivotal role in the development and prosperity of countries. It serves as a foundation for understanding how societies allocate their scarce resources to, to meet their needs and desires, whether that's in the public or private sector. Economics empowers governments to formulate effective policies to tackle unemployment, inflation, poverty, as well as other socioeconomic challenges. In the private sector, it helps businesses optimize their operations and investment, and that in turn contributes towards economic growth and job creation. I understand that some of your areas of interest include macroeconomic studies of government spending, uh, economic growth, unemployment, and population growth. In your opinion, what would you say are some of South Africa's key economic challenges? Um, yeah, you are right. In terms of the macroeconomics focus, uh, which is quite broad, and it includes, like you rightly said, the um, unemployment and, and um, economic growth and the rest. Um, I would say that South Africa is actually confronted with triple challenges of high unemployment, um, poverty, and inequality. And then there are other contributing factors, such as insecurity of um, energy, which we are currently going through, um, crime, corruption, shortage of skills and structural reforms and many more. But the major three challenges are the high unemployment, the poverty and inequality. And the problem also is the fact that the COVID-19 has now um, exacerbated these challenges. From a country point of view, beyond the, the typical economic challenges, which have already there and been pervasive, it's those other aspects which come on top of it, on energy, of crime, that just compound the situation in a, in a negative way. Because we're a gender-based show, how would you say macroeconomic policies should be designed to consider gender-specific needs and priorities? Um, the designing macroeconomic policies that consider the gender-specific needs and the priorities are actually very crucial um, in promoting gender equality and women's empowerment. Um, some of the ways that I can think about are, I think I have about five things in mind. I'll see how I go. Um, um, first, the macroeconomic policies should promote equal access to economic opportunities. And this is by the way of promoting uh, equal access to education, to training, um, employment opportunities. And um, this can be done by addressing also the unpaid care work in most cases, which is normally performed by women. And um, it should be considered that the policies should provide support for childcare services, parental leave, flexible working arrangements as well. And, and I think that um, the, the government should also introduce and promote policies that should support women's empowerment, the economic empowerment, I would say, 
which will include access to finance, to credit, to lend um, rights as well. And in this way, it will actually help women to uh, participate more actively in economic activities and decision-making processes. And another thought I have is that um, the macroeconomic growth policies should include the implementation and the measures that will address gender wage gaps and ensure that women receive equal pay for equal work that is done. Uh, we've had situations like that in, in sports, in, in education. And if I will quickly say, um, there was a, um, an, a certain um, article that I came across by uh, the Law for All, which is a law firm. And um, it was a, a study statistics that was um, done by the World Economic Forum. It was compiled, I think about six years ago, which I think is still a bit quite relevant. And the report actually revealed that South African men make approximately 6,600 more than women monthly. <laughs> and this actually contributes to the income disparities and, and the wage gap that, that actually we see right now. And lastly, um, we can see that, um, that maybe another way for the, the policy to be implemented would be for government to introduce gender response budgeting which will help to analyze the allocation of public resources. And this should be done by um, understanding the effects of these policies on different genders. And this can be accomplished by government actually um, engaging in an, on an ongoing basis on the monitoring and the evaluation process by establishing mechanisms that will regularly check the gender impacts of macroeconomic policies and ensure that they are effective and relevant. Thanks for sharing your, your thoughts and practical components there. One aspect, when you talk about a study six years ago that on average men are earning on a monthly basis 6,000 rand more than women, and we think of the fact that there are so many female single parental-headed households where they make their budget stretch. But I can't help wondering if perhaps women lack negotiation skills when it comes to asking for the right type of salary. Because you're right, we have this consistent disparity between men earning more, women earning less for exactly the same position. I think it's between 25 to, to 30% on average that women are underpaid for the same role. Mm, yeah. Reflecting for a moment on your path, Historically, economics has been a male-dominated field, and I came across a study called IDEAS or REPEC, and they estimate that 26% of economists, so pretty much a quarter of all economists, are women. What motivated you to pursue a career in economics? Yeah, I have always loved mathematics, surprising enough, I think. <laughs> I love calculations. I love solving equations. And so with that, I did not like um, art subjects. <laughs> and then I, I also am not into science, particularly. So I just said, you know what, I think I'll just fall into economics, which is the social science part of it. Um, during my high school days also, I loved the way economics was taught. And then I understood that it actually has to do with our day-to-day -day living, the income, the expenses, money. And so actually that intrigued me. And even now, having to understand the issue of inflation rates and how the Reserve Bank has been 
introducing the repo rate, increasing it here and there. So it actually makes it quite interesting for me now to, to also be um, part of economics. And I must say um, that I initially thought that everyone actually understood um, the economy regarding the repo rate effect. And until I had a chat with a medical doctor some time ago and I was discussing with her about why the Reserve Bank increases the repo rate. And she actually couldn't believe it. She laughed and she was what She said she was wondering actually why her bond repayment kept changing, not understanding. So it actually made me feel good that yeah, I did economics and I really understood what's what is going on in the economy. <laughs> That is a question that I think everyone who has some form of repayment, be it a bond, be it a, a car installment, is consistently questioning that repro rate. <laughs> yeah. Please tell us how education has factored into your accomplishments and access to opportunities. Yeah, um, I listened to one of your guests some time back as well. And I like the way she emphasized education. I am also a firm believer in education. Um, although we have a number of unemployed graduates, all right, but I still feel that education is still the basis, or should I say maybe the background that everyone must have if they're given the opportunity. Um, when I completed my master's degree, I saw quite a number of job adverts which aligned with my qualification. And I felt that if I did not have that, I wouldn't be bold enough to even make a step and apply for them. And also growing up, I have um, educated parents and that prompted me to definitely be educated. My siblings are degree holders. So I am basically surrounded by a lot of <laughs> people who are educated. Fast forwarding to your environment now, can you tell us about a couple of research projects that you have worked on or supervised that you feel have a, a significant contribution to economics? Yes, um, I was involved in a, in a project initiative in partnership with the government of South Africa and Germany, and I was asked to come up with a, a policy brief. This was sometime um, last year. Um, this is quite detailed. I'll try to just be as brief as possible. Uh, the project was very important at the time and very tenuous, um, given the high inflation rates that South Africa was facing that time and how the Reserve Bank was responding to the increase in the inflation. And my research focus area, which is broadly microeconomics and monetary economics, also gave me the opportunity to be part of the project. And the project was um, on unconventional economic policies with a special focus on monetary policy in times of crisis. Is there something to be learned from Sri Lanka, Turkey, and inflation for South Africa? So that was what um, I had to do that time. And a number of um, points were, were found in terms of the suggestions and the conclusions. The major thing I can remember was the, uh, the proposal of energy subsidies which is supposed to help to mitigate the effect of the external shock, which is the supply side um, shock, and now um, tricking into, uh, into inflation rates and therefore discouraging the persistent use of the repo rate that the Reserve Bank um, is using. And also um, found that um, the provision of increased aid to students can help to improve human capital and ultimately expand um, employment as well as um, the increased minimum wage to support low-income earners. 
and then increase aggregate demand in the economy, thereby reducing poverty and um, inequality. And also, sorry, if I may just quickly say, I also supervise uh, a couple of students, uh, M&D students, and um, instead of our studies uh, ending up on the library shelves, we made an effort to publish them in academic journals, um, and two of them currently are published. So those are quite um, good points for me that I think I can raise regarding the, the work I've done. A question I have to ask you as a... <laughs> an economist and um, make me, I'm, I'm speaking for a few friends here, is are we going to see the repro rate going down? Um, well, if I will piggyback on the other economists that I've heard about as well, um, we will likely see it, but not this year. Unfortunately, not this year. And uh, maybe they say sometime next year. So we might just have to keep our fingers crossed for that. <laughs> Follow-up question, is it going to go up? <laughs> Well, given the fact that inflation rate is right now within the target band, it's likely not to go up. Probably stay the same. The repo rate probably keep it the way it has been for a while, and then we'll see later on. But hopefully not to go up. <laughs> Thanks for that insight. <laughs> I know that originally you're from Nigeria, and I wondered if you had any other collaborations with different countries on the continent that you're involved with. Yes, I have um, collaborated with colleagues from Nigeria <laughs> and um, Uganda as well in research publications. Um, there are a number of projects on energy consumption, uh, macro prudential policy, economic growth, unemployment that we are looking at as uh, joint proposals for external funding. So we still have a couple of work in the pipeline. And similarities and differences between the findings and the markets? Um, in what way? What, in terms of, for instance, from an unemployment point of view, South Africa, we're sitting at an incredibly high rate of unemployment. I think we're in the 40s. Is there a similar type of trend in Uganda and Nigeria? Oh, currently the study we did on, uh, that I'm doing with the colleagues in Uganda is on South Africa. And the, the study with the colleagues in Nigeria is also on South Africa. So we haven't gone to the comparative analysis of the different countries. A space to watch because it would be very <laughs> yes. interesting to see how, how our colleagues in different environments are, mm -hmm. are grappling with similar or, or different types of, of situations. Mm -hmm. yes. Turning towards yourself on more of a personal note, as I mentioned when we started this set of questions, that approximately 25% of all economists are women. Mm -hmm. Have you personally experienced any challenges working in this male-dominated space? And actually, it's a, it's a dual male-dominated space, economics as well as academia. If so, can you share some of your experiences and, importantly, how you overcame them? If I would say, in all honesty, I did not experience any challenge as a woman working in academia and particularly in the field of economics. I guess I'm one of the lucky few. <laughs> um, I've actually been working in a very supportive environment in my department and at the university at large. And this includes the paid maternity leave, the research and development leave. We have the participation in women in research projects and where they actually encourage research led by women. And there has actually been a good representation of women in leadership positions at UNISA as well and in my college. So. 
I, I am very lucky to be alive and in the department at this time, yes. It's certainly a positive trend for women. I often wonder with institutions like UNISA, for example, having a, a female principal and vice chancellor in Professor Puleng Lenkabula, if she has had a role modeling effect to encourage women at UNISA to pursue their ambitions. As someone who works at the institution, who is a woman, what are some of your views on that idea? Yeah, um, I think it does because not only does she show that a woman can lead such a big institution as UNISA, she is quite resilient, she is focused, she's tenacious, and I think she demonstrates that women can also bring change, which she has done a lot. Um, she has brought enormous positive change to the university by encouraging and promoting research, innovation, engaged scholarship with the new 10 niche areas that she has introduced. And this include, I will not be able to mention all, marine, aviation, um, aeronautic studies, and so on as much as, or as far as even people with disabilities and the members of LGBTQIA community. So I think she has done a tremendous job. The 10 niches almost sound like a, a mini version of the, the UN's SDGs. <laughs> yes. <laughs> You're listening to Womanity, Women and Unity. And today we're talking to Professor Lydia Lashoru from the Department of Economics at the University of South Africa, UNISA. We would love to receive your comments on Twitter at Womanity Talk. Uh, Prof. Lashuru, staying for a moment with economics, given that is your, your space of expertise, on an annual basis, the World Economic Forum publishes their gender gap index. And according to the 2023 report, it will only take 169 years to close the economic participation and opportunity gender gap, 16 years to bridge the educational attainment gender gap, which is, is positive, Accelerating the rate of change to advance equality and empowerment of women is absolutely a burning issue. I mean, who wants to wait 169 years? It's just ridiculous. When we were speaking earlier, you, you tapped into this idea about governments with monitoring policies. And I can't help but think every year government receives additional money. Is there a way of being able to use fiscal policy as a potential mechanic to accelerate change by directing expenditure to benefit women? Um, in addition to what I alluded to earlier, real change in the gender equality requires a comprehensive approach, which will involve multiple stakeholders. In addition to government actions, other key actors, such as the civil society organizations, the private sector, like you mentioned as well, and individuals, they'll play um, crucial roles. Um, addressing the deeply rooted gender disparities and achieving gender equality is a very long process, like you said, I mean, you said, and government society must demonstrate commitment. Um, having said that, I'll also quickly talk about um, the four things that can be done to drive the change. There should be public awareness campaigns and gender sensitization programs, which will help to challenge the stereotypes and promote gender equality. Um, governments should strive to increase women's uh, representation in the political and decision-making processes. Lucky enough, we see that in the parliament now with the president incorporating or including women 
in, in, in his um, cabinet. And this can actually help or can lead to more inclusive policies that will consider women's perspectives and their needs. And adequate funding should also be allocated to combat um, gender-based violence um, by providing resources for the, prevention, for the prevention and support services. And lastly, I think governments can support these policies by promoting um, gender equality in the workforce, such as promoting the equal pay, like I mentioned, and addressing workplace uh, discrimination. And also very much important to provide parental leave and childcare support, because we know that most of the time this childcare support is normally um, done by women. And some companies don't even give the, the paternity, I mean, paternal leave as well. So this should really be considered. When you talk about the paternal leave, I didn't think about it for a while in terms of the benefits and how that impacts on, on women. But I really see it as if you increase paternal leave, it demonstrates that men have a responsibility towards their children, that this is just not mm. the domain purely mm. for women. And mm. if we can get that idea across, because it's not that men don't want to look after their children, but if there aren't the right mm. policies in an organization, mm. it just makes that responsibility a woman's burden. Yes, yes, definitely yes. Mm. Earlier, we chatted about access to finance. We chatted about access to training and education, uh, as well as land as resources to help women. So channeling in with that thought and thinking about economic empowerment, what would you say from an economic perspective are some of the benefits in promoting women's entrepreneurship as well as leadership in the private sector? Um, in general, by promoting women's entrepreneurship and leadership in the private sector is a more inclusive and prosperous, I mean, prosperous economy. And it can be realized by harnessing the untapped potential of women in the workplace. And women make up a substantial portion of the global consumer base. So having women or more women in leadership or in leadership positions can lead to better understanding and cater to the needs and the preferences of the, this important um, demographic um, sections because it increases the consumer satisfaction and loyalty. Also, encouraging women's um, entrepreneurship and leadership can contribute to the closing of the gender pay gap, like we mentioned as well. And um, because women in leadership positions can influence fairer pay practices and the policies within the companies. Like you mentioned earlier, that maybe women do not have the capacity or the ability to, to negotiate wages or the, the, the salary. So in this case, if women are encouraged to participate in entrepreneurship, then I think this would definitely help to, to close the gap. And companies that actually actively support and promote women's entrepreneurship and leadership are seen as progressive and socially responsible because then it can then improve their reputation, it can attract top talent, it can enhance their brand in the eyes of um, other consumers. How do you think we can get more women into leadership roles? Because it's certainly, um, we're underrepresented as we've already discussed, mm. but what mm. I've found is that when women are in a position of leadership, you're in a position of power, you've got opportunities to change the landscape 
and make uh, transformations take place? Yeah, I think by just making it easy for them, because also, like we said, women um, are not really part of the economy in terms of promoting the economic growth and stuff. So we just need to encourage women to not forcefully because they women tend to just want to take the back seat while men are the ones who want to push forward. So we should just probably encourage or women should be encouraged to make sure that their voices are heard to make sure that they become part of policies and implementation of it as well, I would say. Because if I think, for example, we had the CEO of um, BP Southern Africa, and one of the things that she was able to do was to change her executive and managerial Mm. composition to be 45% woman, which when you think about an energy organization, also traditionally male-dominated, that is an amazing achievement of of getting that turn yes i agree because i remember the time i just joined unisa it was mainly men um the head of departments the teens the who who and even the vc as you probably know so being having the first lady vc as well that helps a lot and the whole composition of the department and the college has changed a lot as well we have a lot of women in leadership lots of women at the head of department Women are the directors of school as well. So definitely women are are coming on board. And it provides a a view for me, not just of what women can do, but also in men's eyes of what women can do. Yes, yes, definitely. Yes. (laughs) The other element that we spoke about was access to financial services. Mm -hmm. Can you tell us the negative consequences that if women don't have access to these types of resources, what happens? Mm. Um, Women often often play a critical role in managing household finances and supporting family needs. So when women do not have uh, enough access or they have limited access to financial services and resources, then household income may suffer. With restricted access to financial um, services as well, they may be unable to contribute fully to the household income generation. Then there will be also um, the unequal access to to financial services perpetuating poverty and income inequality, whereby women from marginalized communities who often face the most significant barriers to uh, financial resources um, accessibility, now it becomes worsened and then it causes more um, economic and social disparities. And if I may say as well that um, when women lack um, access to financial resources, investment in human capital, which is uh, basically in education, healthcare, skills development, will definitely suffer. So in short, I think I can say that addressing the gender gap in the financial inclusion and um, promoting equal access to financial services and the resources for women is very essential. And uh, because it helps to unlock their full economic potential, it empowers women economically, and then it can lead to productivity. Listening to all the things that you're saying, I I see this as government has its role in terms of policies, having those policies implemented, but at the same time to really drive those positive transformative practices home companies Mm. or academic institutions have to have their own policies and Mm. live the talk. Yes, yes, definitely. 
they have to, yeah. Otherwise, because like we're saying, women make um, a smaller percentage of the salary that the men make. So including them in access to financial services will definitely make a lot of change, a whole lot. What would be the one thing that you would change to ensure that women have a better future in the work environment? Definitely to be to eliminate all forms of gender discrimination and bias in hiring, in promoting, and the compensation processes. Definitely. And this, by eradicating the gender uh, discrimination, women will have equal access to employment opportunities, career advancement, and fair pay. And this will help to um, create a more level playing field where women can compete and they can thrive based on their skills, on their qualifications. Because like we mentioned, women are getting paid lower, even doing the same job as a man, having the same qualification as a woman, I mean, as a man. So definitely if all this, all forms of gender discrimination, if it can be reduced, I mean, eliminated basically. And I think it will result in several positive outcomes. If I mention that quickly, um, it will result in equal opportunities. Definitely there will be fair and equal pay. There will be work-life balance. Because most of the time the work is being, the work at home, which is unpaid, is normally put on the women. So if we have work-life balance, that would definitely help. And most importantly, role modeling. Um, as more women succeed and as they thrive in the workforce, they become role models for future generations. Then they inspire young girls to pursue their aspirations. Great thoughts. And I don't see anything there that cannot be implemented. Mm, mm, definitely. <laughs> Prof. Shora, as we come to the latter part of today's conversation, a question that I ask all my guests on the show is about some of the factors that they feel have contributed towards their success. You know, no one has a, a universal recipe. Everybody has a, a different take. You know, maybe the things like discipline, perseverance, values, a, a particular person in your life or, or faith. Can you please share with us what you feel have been some of the factors that have driven your success? Um, I would say discipline, um, focus, which definitely go hand in hand, and faith, because uh, I am a woman of faith. Um, I'll say that um, discipline goes with focus, because when I have a research plan, it means that I have a focus goal. And then I need to be disciplined in order to, to achieve my goal. So I believe in focus and I believe in, um, in discipline. And then definitely, like I said, being a woman of faith, I believe that God helps me to achieve all these goals at the end of the day. As much as I set my goals and I'm disciplined and I say I wake up from three to whenever, but at the end of the day, it's God who helps me to achieve all these goals. The woman that we are today is a function of, of our past, our, our different lived experiences. Can you tell us about some of the important moments in your life growing up that have shaped you to who you are today? Yeah, um, I have quite a lot. If not that you are trying to say, I shouldn't go beyond the time I could go on and on. <laughs> uh, but I can probably think back to three pivotal moments um, that I can highlight. Two of them are interrelated and uh, mainly uh, academic. Um, the first one is um, getting my first job. 
it actually marked the transition from being a student <laughs> to a working adult. And um, it brought me newfound responsibilities, although not what I pictured. <laughs> and so many people said that adulthood is a scam. <laughs> and I think I believe <laughs> Because I thought, you know, getting a job that I'll be on my own and then will give me financial independence. But either way, um, that was definitely a very good moment in my life. And um, the time I did my PhD, completed and graduated, yeah, that was very pivotal moment for me. And I think I would say completing my first PhD, if I would say, because I read your bio and I said that you are busy with the second PhD. So <laughs> I'm very inspired and I'm challenged to do the same. So, um, so completing my first PhD is a major achievement for me as well, because I believe it opened doors of new opportunities for me, potential career paths and networking, definitely for me. And um, when I received the recognition for this achievement from my college, the College of Economics and Management Sciences, at UNISA. And I also received a Y2 rating from the National Research Foundation. So it helped boost my self-confidence, motivated me to grow and deepen my research. Yeah. And I think I can also say that um, I'm working towards creating more pivotal moments. <laughs> I would definitely love to do that because um, I'm hoping to become a motivational speaker someday because <laughs> I would love to share knowledge. And like I said earlier, I enjoy talking a lot. So I think that would really help me. <laughs> Life is a journey. We learn new things all the time and developing ourselves, progressing is so exciting. Mm. Definitely, it is. Can you tell us about some of the strong female role models in your life? Oh, yes. Um, many of them are definitely about education or about women participation issues. Um, one of them is the Pakistani activist for female education, Malala Yousafzai, I think. And then um, I also have in mind uh, Michelle Obama, um, she is known for her advocacy on issues such as education, health, empowering young women and girls, definitely. Um, and then I also have Oprah Winfrey. Um, she has used her influence to promote education, empowerment, and humanitarian causes. Um, then in the field of sports, I have Serena Williams, who has been an advocate for gender and racial equality in sports. So, and um, if I would just add this, um, it's no other person than our local prof, Mamukheti Pakeng, the former principal and the vice chancellor of the University of um, um, Cape Town. Because I had an opportunity actually to meet her while she was at UNISA and when I was attending the Young Academics Program about 11 years ago. Um, and she shared her experience, which stuck with me till today. She's a manager and she's a researcher. She's a lover of education as well. And a fabulous academic, if I say, because she, she's so much into research, she encourages research, she encourages education. So definitely those will be my, my role models that I can talk about. That's a great list of ladies. <laughs> Finally, as we close out today's conversation, please use this platform, we're in Women's Month, to share a few words of inspiration, motivation for girls and women that are listening to us. Yes, oh, I will try to make it short 
because I thought about a lot of the time about women and what we can do to empower us and encourage ourselves. Um, so I would like to say that um, to the women and the girls of Africa that you are the embodiment of strength and resilience and limitless potential. Um, your dreams are the seeds of progress, definitely. And your aspirations hold the power to transform not just your own lives, but also the lives of people that are around you. I've seen that definitely from my own experience. And it's always good to remember to embrace your uniqueness. We are all unique in our own ways because our uniqueness is our source of greatness. And also do not forget that your education is a powerful tool which can break barriers and open doors. So you must pursue knowledge relentlessly because it is the power that can help to shatter every form of stereotype and social, I mean, societal norms. And then it can also change us, that we, I mean, change us to see what we wish to see. You can definitely be the change and we can be the voice for those whose voices have been silenced. And I also think about this all the time that in a world where there is so much competition, women, we should remember to support one another. It is very important to foster sisterhood because together we are an unstoppable force. We have to celebrate each other's successes because it's so easy for us to be jealous of one another, you know, and then to also lift ourselves up and build networks and solidarity. And I will not lie, definitely the journey will not always be smooth. It's definitely not gonna be smooth, but with unwavering determination and belief in ourselves, we can prevail. And this reminds me actually of a video that I watched last night on LinkedIn, where a gentleman was saying that his father told him that if things go your way, then that is good. But if they don't, then that's even better. <laughs> it is because it means there's a higher power that wants the best for you. So we should be rest assured that if things don't go our way, we just have to keep moving and keep pushing. And there's the saying that the sky is the limit. I say beyond the sky is the limit. So rise and shine and make history. And like you said, we are in the month of women. So happy Women's Month as we celebrate the Women's Day in South Africa on the 9th of August. Thank you. <laughs> What a wonderful message. It has been a joy chatting to you, hearing and learning about economics, your views on women, and in your final words, that it's not just about the self, but it is about the unity. And I think that really reflects what humanity is all about. Thank you for joining us. Thank you so much, Dr. Malaya, for having me. I really appreciate the time. You have been listening to Womanity, Woman and Unity, and we have been talking to Professor Lydia Temi Lashoru from the Department of Economics at the University of South Africa, UNISA.